0: today we are back with more x-men the animated series the secrets the behind the scenes the mysteries that you might have never heard of you would think being the best-selling superhero franchise for two decades will just clear the way green light green light green light anything but the hurdles that this team had to overcome are incredible and find out exactly how image comics the launch of image comics affected and and paused production on x-men the animated series we talk about all of it today on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, and welcome to another edition of Rob Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. We discuss and live and examine the the, the world of comic books and superheroes on this Rob Observations podcast on the regular. We, we we are marching towards our fourth year. I'm very excited uh, that, that that we have been discussing all things comic books, all things superheroes, publishing. And and most importantly, comic creators, the comic creators that bring you the 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 superheroes and the comic books in, in, in the first place. You got your your great publishers, your, your big time publishers, some that that we've discussed that, that fell along the way over the course of 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 the publishing history of comic books, and and, and always though the two titans, Big Marvel, Big DC, and the effect they've had on so many lives. My life, uh when I was a kid, got into comics, became an obsession. And have now watched them over the last, I guess, twenty good god, it's got to be twenty four years. I mark the beginning of the cinematic surge of superheroes, not of the Batman films. Those those were I, I, I've told you guys so many times, shared with you. Uh, right when Image Comics, a company that I was fortunate enough to uh, to to launch and start with my buddies, back in nineteen ninety two. Uh, image comics took me on this crazy ride and yes if you can if you can tell that we have just just jumped right into it today we are we are jumping right in 1992 my 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 phone started ringing. young bud had been the number one comic book across the country a, a comic book that no one had heard of from a company no no one had heard of so we uh were' just kind of experiencing myself the people at my extreme studios we were Experiencing this all new version of of of, of attention that we hadn't had before, and we had had some some tremendous success, especially the year prior, launching X Force to five million copies, a a record that still stands as the number two best selling comic book of all time to this day. But Youngblood was different. No one had heard of this new company, Image Comics. They were investigating, and from Paramount to Universal to Sony to Warner Brothers, uh, look. Every producer on the lot, anybody who wanted to be a part of the, the the comic book experience, would cite Batman. We need something like Batman. Batman. Everything has to be Batman. And I and I kept sharing with them. Well, well, the only thing that is Batman is Batman. But the only comic book that they could compare uh, success to was the two Tim Burton movies, and what was coming was the the first of the Joel Schumacher Batman films. But they were like, well, how is this more like Batman? how can we make this more like batman batman was the most repeated word probably from 1989 to 1994 in hollywood as people sought to recreate that success and only that success and didn't understand why everything else couldn't fit into that exact same mode and and you you got the impression really quickly that these people weren't into comic books they just knew that batman was a comic book and the word comic book Hmm. there must be some success there must be a vein that they can tap uh, that, that that can give them some sort of success in the same way. So that was my experience really for the better part of a decade. And that didn't change until the 2000s with X-Men. No, it was not Blade. We've talked about this extensively. If you were there in 1998, uh, uh, Blade was marketed as a vampire horror thriller. It was purchased and produced as a vampire horror thriller. My friends at New Line, my executive on the job, Yes, Wesley Snipes was the big driving force behind that. Wesley Snipes had a giant glow up, an incredible blow up uh, during his his uh, his the nineties, where he had just been knocking out hit after hit after after hit. He had his sights set on doing a comic book, and Blade was completely uh, checked all the boxes for New Line because vampires were more successful and and a bigger uh, uh, kind of platform for them to exploit than anything comic book related comic comic book movies really the lights went off with batman and robin anything that was in development quickly stopped being in development even the x-men film which was trying very much to get made during this time was going through all manner of of uh obstacles trying to overcome all the hurdles and something like batman and robin again that's the movie they associated with this movie works this is the successful comic book and then when that faltered everything faltered no, there was no faith whatsoever, and but you but 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 during that exact same time, thrillers, horror films, especially if your budgets got right, were the big big deal, especially in that end of '90s window. And Blade is a great film. Do not get me wrong. For what Blade blew me away, it was so far superior made than any of the comic book uh, styled offerings that were coming out at that time. Uh, it, it was it was great on on every single level, but people actually. Will try and tell me that that started the comic book revolution it did not it did not get one single comic book project greenlit from another company that when something's working the entire town that's what they there's even a newsletter called the town that's that's the best barometer when something comes out and everyone starts imitating it you know that that, that you have had some 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 profound impact blade did well blade is a great film blade did not start the 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 comic book wave that was x-men 2000 even even hugh jackman again this is the greatest thing and and the blade people don't like to hear this and i don't have anything against them other than they try and put this movie in a in a perch on a in in on a platform that it does not belong on in regards to starting the comic book revolution hugh jackman i've shared it with with you guys here and in this this fits great on an x-men themed uh episode hugh jackman gave an interview back in uh 2020, it was the summer of the pandemic. He gave it to Entertainment Weekly because they were celebrating the 20 years of X Men. And he talked about how his agent said, Don't tell anybody that you're reading for this comic book movie. You know, uh, just, just, we've got you uh, reading for this part of Wolverine, but don't tell anybody because, again, comic book movies actually had, uh, let's just call it a stank. They had a stank on them because, again, that now the comic book movies were being seen as the comic books that I've shared with you during my youth were seen as childish endeavors as kind of um, corny. And especially given the the, the the Joel Schumacher treatment of the Batman movies, they were seen as campy and people didn't really want to interact with them. So again, yes, I can see where you say, Oh, but blade wasn't, it wasn't anything like those campy movies. It was so good. It is such a great movie, but if blade had created this great, you know, cyclone, of, of, uh, uh th- 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 that was sweeping through Hollywood getting comic books greenlit, then, then why is Hugh Jackman's agent telling Hugh Jackman, don't tell anybody that you're reading for the X Men? Okay. And, 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 and even when he got it, he was downplaying it. And even after he had made it, he wasn't putting it on his resume. It- it's a great interview. It was, it was, uh, online on Entertainment Weekly. And he talks extensively how, like, it- it's just funny that this role that became such a seminal, uh, s- seminal part of Hugh Jackman's resume. and and part of how we know him, what was something that was being cautioned. So so again, the facts of the matter. And furthermore, uh the X-Men movie, I knew I had my friends from Fox. They were super nervous about it even after they made it. And they were doing on X-Men in when they were shooting it in ninety nine, they were doing the exact same thing that they were doing to Deadpool in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, strip mining it of 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 as much uh budget as they possibly could. Can you do this for less money? Can you do this? Can we strike this scene? Can we strike this character? Uh, that 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 is the that was the Fox way because they were so nervous and they wanted uh, their 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 accounting, you know, to 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 be positive on this movie. And and look, this goes all the way back, and and I and I have shared this uh, on the Planet of the Apes films back when they were making those in the sixties. It was all about the accounting. Okay, can we make the sequel for a million dollars less because it's going to make X amount less. Each and every one of those Planet of the Apes movies from the accounting uh, at 20th Century Fox were made at increasingly uh, less money. Nowadays, sequels, we put more money into them. Uh, uh, the, the business puts more money into them to get more bang for the buck. You see this, I think, really the most obvious from Die Hard 1 to Die Hard 2. Die Hard 1, smaller, more contained, giant hit. Die Hard 2, because my son was got, got the Die Hard bug and wanted to watch all of them this, this last uh, fall, winter. And so, uh, b- between Thanksgiving and and and, uh, and Christmas, we, we we watched all of these diehard films, and he was like, "Wow, the second movie is so much bigger in scope." Of course, it is. It, it, I mean, they the 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 entire airport setting, then going off the airport to the church, and then the runways, and just the, the the much bigger action set pieces. So that that's a great example of a movie that they put way more money into, Fox just had this uh, tradition that, that they, they adhered to of just being extremely budgetarily uh, budgetarily conscious, maybe to a fault. So X-Men was released with such, I mean, that, that movie, if you only knew how, how little money they were spending on that movie, and it worked. I went to a uh, like preview screening. Fox had asked me to come up and see a preview screening, and I, I wish it was online. But when one of these uh, websites went down, or in the turnover of, of ownership, uh, it was either Comic Book Resources or newsorama I did a, I did an advanced movie review, the only one that like I officially filed as a movie movie review. I did it that night when I came home because I couldn't believe how well they had nailed it. They had nailed again for the for the two thousands uh, uh, aesthetic, the story having Wolverine be. Our audience surrogate learning that there are X-Men among us and learning about the school and I thought especially the introduction of the school I've talked about this before very Harry Potter before Harry Potter and I don't mean the book I mean honestly X-Men predates Harry Potter all things by decades but but just uh, later that 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 year later later I believe that Christmas or the Christmas to follow would become the Harry Potter uh, first film and 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 they they have similarities. Seeing through the eyes of someone who is entering into a school, and and Logan's just kind of being baffled by the, by, by Xavier's school. Um, I, I thought that's the stuff that gave you the emotional core, and and and, and really had us taking this right alongside of him. Of course, I would love for all the powers and all the um, the, the, the expressions to have been stronger, but when that worked, when the big. Team movie, because because no one had done like a team movie. And I, I, like I said, get out of here with that mystery men stuff, okay? Get out of here with the shoveler, okay? Uh, uh, this is like the most expansive vision of a comic book movie that had been done, and it worked. And you could tell superhero films were open for business. Now, given that we uh, are discussing the X Men film, I feel so much of the groundwork for that film was laid by the success of today's topic, the X-Men, the animated series that stormed through the 90s, getting big kids like me to uh, grab a bowl of cereal on Saturday morning and plop down on the leather couch and watch on the big box what passed as the the big screen TV of the day uh, and, and watch each and every episode as it came out. And, you know, again, for, for those who are um, listening who weren't of the age uh, there was no DVR. You either had to tape that, and, and I, I, I had it set to tape in case I missed it. Uh, this was a big deal. X-Men the animated series was uh, a huge kind of, it, it, as detailed, I, I don't want to say experiment, but as detailed in this uh, in this X-Men, the making of the animated series by Eric and Julia Lewald, which I have been uh, sharing from and will continue to share from. Because this is a fantastic book. And let me stop you right here and tell you that the LaWalds, both of them, because they made some really lovely comments about the first uh, part of this, which which, which was uh, in, in the very last episode, which was Deadpool, Wolverine, and the X-Men animated series. If you want to look it up and, and, and go into the back catalog in case this is your very first episode, uh, they, they responded extremely kindly on social media saying, we are so excited you're doing this and covering our book. And they want you to know that X-Men, the art and making of the animated series by Eric and Julia LeWald is available on on Amazon and possibly still in some of your booksellers like uh, Barnes and Noble. I ordered mine uh, Amazon three years ago, and and the difference between mine and maybe your copy is I, I've got I've got post its all over it uh, citing different paragraphs and different stuff that I'm going to share with you on today's uh, show as we continue to examine again the risks and 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 what what this really represented was a giant risk. Because just as, as with everything, you know, it was an unknown, even though the X-Men had had so much success, and at the time that this uh, was released, was the number one selling comic book still, a, a feat that it had really been carrying for the better part of, at, at this point, uh, 15 years. I mean, the X-Men was the dominant blockbuster. I, I know we're, we're coming out of a period of the last 12, 15 years where, especially in publishing, Marvel's attention was to- was turned towards the Avengers family and stuff in that thing like uh, like an extra large burrito over here at, at, at one of my favorite um, burrito joints across the street. I, everyone goes there because the burritos are so stuffed. But they kept let's let's put Wolverine in the Avengers. Let's put Spider Man in the Avengers. Let's put let's put Conan in the Avengers. Let's put the Punisher in the Avengers. Let's put Venom in anything to get the Avengers brand was kind of the uh, the 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 focus of the last several different uh, regimes at Marvel Comics. It would appear that they are now pivoting completely 100 back to trying to uh restore the x-men to its its previous glory without deviating so far away from what made the x-men the x-men and and we shared in in the the last episode the 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 mission statement the mission statement of x-men the animated series was true to the core of what stan and jack stan lee jack kirby who introduced you created uh the, the the initial X-Men, the 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 first issues, the basis for the entire concept. Hunted and feared by those they are sworn to protect. Boom. End of story. That is what set the X-Men apart from everyone else. And the animated series understood that and gave that to us. And and we covered a little bit of the pride of the X-Men. Pride of the X-Men was a one-shot attempt to to get X-Men off the ground as its own series in 1989. Now it was the last uh, uh, it, it was the last effort from a pretty successful partnership that Marvel, uh, animation had had with a company called, uh, DePatti Freeling. You would, you would see DePatti. It's, it's it's funny even to say you would see DePatty Freeling's, uh, credits at the end of so many of the animated series when I was growing up. Cause again, this is, this is my era of Marvel cartoons. See in 1978, you got to understand old man Liefeld here, 1978. Okay, I, I am eleven. Okay, so I am eating up the spider, uh, the Spider Woman uh, car- cartoon that, that 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 lands in 1979. I am absorbing the Fantastic Four cartoon that has Herbie the Robot and not Human Torch in 1978. I was there. I've done an episode on Spider Man and his amazing friends again. I've, I've, I've covered with you guys. Uh when I got Disney Plus, I don't know what you did when you got your Disney Plus, and after you watched your first episode of The Mandalorian, but what I did is I went immediately to, do they really have all these cartoons? Holy crap. And, and they had X-Men animated adventure. They, 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 I mean, the animated series, boom, right there, day one. And I went to episode nine, I believe of ser- of season one to see if they had the wild man of Borneo episode, which introduced my own bad boy cable, uh, time traveling, you know, uh, to, to the outside world, bionic commando. And, uh, because that blew me away. We'll we'll circle back to that. But also Spider Man and his amazing friends, uh, a a, a stable for me. Uh, when I was junior high, going into my going into to, to, to eighth grade, I never missed Spider Man and his amazing friends. And the last uh, really successful endeavor that they had had was the Incredible Hulk in 1982 that Marvel had done with DePatie. Uh, Freeling Enterprises, which they had partnered with Marvel, in- to create all of these uh, cartoons. The 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 Pride of the X Men fell apart because Marvel Productions was falling apart. The 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 uh, the money uh, from 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 that, that that was that was coming, the investments, the partnerships that that had uh, that had created this idea to finally get the X Men on the air. And and here's the other thing: X Men, uh, the X Men are are guest stars. In, in spider-man and the and, in, in the amazing uh, spider-man and his amazing friends uh, that, that that they are they are in and out of that series and each time they appear as a kid you just got so excited oh my gosh but again that's not a cartoon that went on you know a very a very a very long time um the again failure of of, of the pride of the x-men uh, was because the company was running out of financing and, uh, experiencing financial issues in regards to its relationship with new world pictures and, uh, cadence industries and all these different other names that don't really matter. The bottom line is the the, no matter what they had, uh, intended, they just, the production company was running out of steam. I, I've, I've dealt with this myself personally in the last four years, a company that bought a property from me, uh, and, and I did the deal because they were going, uh, to finance the film, so so, so I'm getting the, the producers and the financiers with all of the money that they had raised from China, uh, they they went out of business. They went out of business, and and so it doesn't matter how good the script is or or, or the talent that is that is collected. It 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 is now kind of parked in a in a semi limbo until you wait out and and the rights revert to you. So so this is something that is that, that happens commonly. Not as you know, everything is a success. And with Marvel, they had. Uh, that this this production this this endeavor had come to an end. The bonus, the reason that we focus on the Pride of the X Men, which was eventually released on VHS. Pride of the X Men was covered in the comic book fan magazines. That's how I heard about it, and it was uh, it was exciting to know that there was something coming on visual with with uh, with the X Men. And the cool thing is that uh, Rick Hoberg, Larry Houston, and Will Minio were Three guys from comic books that were behind the scenes producing, creating storyboards, uh, uh, character designs. And they they gave the look, which was very strong of the Pride of the X-Men. But Pride of the X-Men, when you actually finally saw it, was a little on the campy side. Nowhere near more of the serious tone that we would find in X-Men the Animated Series. Which again goes back to the, the original uh, kind of mission statement that everyone on this series set out. To, to execute when they finally got the green light, because the connector is the woman at Marvel Pro- Productions who was trying to make the X-Men happen, goes on to become the head of Fox. Fox is trying to build out this brand new, you know, uh very much uh young men, boy skewing, uh s- successful cartoon network. And she goes back and says, Hey, this time, this time I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick the landing with X-Men. I'm gonna take what well, we started with, Pride of the X Men, this one-off pilot that eventually got collected and, and, and released on 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 VHS and was the basis of a video game and and, and 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 had and has some sort of cultural imprint. But she knew the success of the concept, and Margaret Loesch uh, decided to pull the trigger and 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 activate it and put it on uh, the Fox Network. But with all good intentions, that was just the first hurdle they had to clear, and that is. Where we're going to deep, continue to dig, uh, uh, and, 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 and go deep on the X-Men animated series today to, to, t- to show you just all of the ways that once again, you know, success just does not just appear. It does not, it does not just manifest as everybody uh, involved in the X-Men will tell you. It is, it is something born of clearing hurdle after hurdle, obstacle, challenge after challenge. And that is, that is really, um, the, the, the fun part of about this and what we live to share here on Rob observations are the stories behind the scenes of why you got such such incredible uh, comic books and, and in this case an incredible animated series in, in the first place. It's it's the people behind the scenes who who are who are hustling to make it happen and have to answer you know every new uh, ring of the bell and 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 and, and continue to, to to evolve to meet. Sometimes ridiculous demands, but that—that that is really the excitement that that comes from sharing how uh, the X Men animated series came to dominate uh, that that '90s window on Fox and and drew so many eyeballs and had and had so many of us just our full attention each and every Saturday morning. It just it just feels like a foregone conclusion that a a cartoon show based on the X Men would be a massive hit. It, it, it really seemed like a no-brainer. But that certainly was not the case in early 1992, despite all of the success that the X-Men comics had been having just in the recent year, in, in the launches in 1991 of X-Force and X-Men, um, the success of X-Factor, the Wolverine solo books. You would think that this would just be something that everyone would, would, would believe, like... Like we can pull this off, and 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 we will get the eyeballs. But of course, uh, as 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 they started to lay out and they and they talk about in this book, it was just hesitation after hesitation after hesitation. And they had assembled their team. They had assembled their mission statement. I read the entire mission statement on the uh, the, the first uh, part of this, the first episode covering this. But it's worth revisiting part of it. It's where it says. This is not to say, this is again the mission statement that uh, Eric Lewald had uh, shared in in regards to what what is the X-Men, what is this series we are doing, what are these characters. Uh, the second paragraph is to say, which is not to say that the X-Men will lack action, pace, or intensity. We want these shows to move fast and to be dense with dramatic crises. Action scenes will play like Terminator 2. On speed, but more often than not, the crisis is personal, not physical. Think of the famous Star Trek scene where Kirk has to let the woman he loves get killed for the sake of future lives. There was a matchless, dramatic tension created by a man watching watching a woman walk slowly across a street. The drama was inside the character. X-Men is a show of gray areas. We understand that most of our villains even sympathize with some. X-Men victories tend to be mixed blessings and are never achieved without a loss of some kind. Through it all, however, our X-Men distinguish themselves by maintaining their values of friendship, loyalty, and personal sacrifice, whatever the cost, they do what must be done. So that is what everyone understood going into the entire series, kind of the overarching theme of what was going on. Now they're going to bring up soon, uh, repeatedly throughout the book, and, and and again, just like in any in any Basically, pop endeavor that's going to grab attend attempt to grab eyeballs from the masses. You're going to acknowledge your competitors. You're going to acknowledge uh, the the other stuff that, that is out there. Your rivals and and they mention Batman the animated series, which landed very much around this same time. They mention it often throughout kind of what they were up against, and they do compare some of the conditions. That they were producing the X Men animated series up against the Batman series, which they will tell you had almost a uh, a year and a half lead time on them and had much more money to spend because they were given a very finite, a very tight window with which to create this show, make this show, and get this show in front of us. With all that pressure on them, as as they are creating this show, as they are crafting uh, Night of the Sentinels, the the first the first uh, X Men episode that will be featured in the X Men animated series. They had been working nonstop for months. And I'm going to now read directly from X-Men, the art and making of the animated series by Eric and Julia Lewald. Grab it, uh, it if you can, uh, from your local bookseller or on Amazon, uh, get get a copy of this. This thing is a just a handsome coffee table book full of tremendous sketches, storyboards, uh, style guides, character designs, and and, and, and so much more of the great history that I will have the opportunity to share with you across this series that we're doing covering the X-Men animated series. But it says, as I read directly from this passage uh, in the first chapter, after two and a half uh, nonstop months, it looked as if everything was falling into place. Half a dozen writers were burning the midnight oil, crafting our stories, and twice as many artists were drawing stacks and stacks of inspired X-Men images then late friday march 6 1992 the they put the memo arrives the memo it's in quotes a senior executive's uh, I'm sorry a senior executive at Marvel Comics in New York all of Marvel was located in New York at this time in, in case uh, you, you're wondering clearly Marvel isn't part of Disney Marvel doesn't have an LA branch at the time Marvel Publishing and the investments and the people who made the decision for the toys, all of that stuff is located in New York, in the New York sector, the New York buildings of Marvel Comics. So a memo arrives from a senior, and I'll also add a mysterious executive. They do not identify who shared this with them. They could, they've chosen not to. They make it very clear that it is neither of their advisors, Bob Harris, who was the editor of the entire X-Men line, overseeing it. Uh, when, when Jim Lee, Will Sportaccio, myself uh, were there and 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 during Mutant Genesis, completely transforming, adding those 8 million, 5 million selling copies that really bolstered Marvel's bottom line and and made the X-Men an even bigger uh, stars and, and a bigger draw in, in the comic book world than ever before. So it was either, it was not, he's very specific to let you know, it was not either Bob or Joey calamar who was Bob's boss okay and they they were very hands on they were uh involved in the voice casting all the decisions that were going to be made bringing this series to you so this senior executive writes an eight page memo again these are the words of Eric and Julie Lawald writing this an eight page memo trashing they say trashing their story choices in effect saying that we should start from scratch start over uh which would, of course, destroy the already super tight schedule they're trying to produce the show on. Marvel's offices were closed for that weekend. Uh, Not many people during this period had cell phones, they want to point out. And even less had people's home phone numbers. There was going to be no effective way to reach the New York offices until business resumed on Monday. Waiting to find out how long this would resolve... Uh, Did this guy have the leverage to enforce what he was threatening them with? This is, again, I am reading directly uh, from this memo. They are letting you know, like, this is a crisis. Is is this guy going to shut us down? He's trashing, in his words, their words, trashing the, the work they've done to date since they were given the green light to get this thing going. And could he basically pull the plug is what they're asking. It made for a very intense three days. Luckily, Will Minio again, Will uh, shot to fame and fortune in comic books drawing The D.N. Agents, which was a independent comic published by Eclipse, which uh, was very celebrated and uh, acclaimed in its day because it was the most successful non-Marvel DC superhero comic, and it was very much uh, in the vein of the comic books that were popular at the time, The X-Men and the Teen Titans, and Will was extremely an extremely talented penciler, uh, juggling the, the the cast of five, six rotating characters and DNA agents. Uh, again, super talented. His work is all, all all over this book. His comic book expertise, his animation expertise is seen in how he carefully crafts all of the different storyboards that he shares with you in this. And, and, and he was one of the top guys uh, producing this show along with, again, Larry Houston and then Rick Hoberg, a giant comic book pedigree for this show especially given all the animation work these gentlemen had already done and coming from comic books rick hoberg for instance i knew from all-star Squ- all-star squadron marvel's what if series um fill-ins on all manner of different popular titles uh it, it was always fun to see these guys names at the end of the credits even as a kid cuz i'm like that guy's name is in that comic book um the only time i got screwed up i think back in during the super friends during a credit scene when i was a kid George Perez was one of my favorite artists. And then there was an animator named George Perez. One of the first things I ever asked him, were you that George Perez on Super Friends? And he's like, Rob, there are a lot of Perez's and there are a lot of George Perez's. So that was that was really funny. Again, uh, little little Robbie Liefeld, the, the Super Friends at that point, I'm eight years old. Okay, g- give me a break. I'm a little Orange County sheltered. Rob Liefeld didn't know, but George Perez, when I saw his name, I would just go ding. But these guys, in fact, uh, were, were accomplished comic book uh, artists, storytellers, fan favorites, and they were lending their talents to trying to bring us the very best X-Men animated series. So Will Mineo, it, it, uh, it it states here, had a pointed, persuasive answer for every single concern that the Marvel executive expressed. And on the following Monday, with, again, in quotes, the memo <clears throat> being dealt with, we were able to proceed. To clear the air, Eric Lawald wrote a statement of priorities, another mission statement, circulating it to everyone involved with the show, including the uh, people at Saban Entertainment who were on board uh, producing the show. So this statement is sent to it says Sydney, uh, wanter Bob Harris, Winston Richard, etc. from Eric Lawald, and this thing is ridiculously uh th- th- this is a very long mission statement i'm not going to read all of it but it they took it, it when you, when you read uh, the combination of will minio and eric lewald's very lengthy uh, statement back to the marvel executives for instance one one of the statements they say is look the government that we are going to portray in this co- in in this um in, in this series is not a bunch of bigots you know there will be people within the government making bad uh, decisions intended to harm the X Men, but it is not trying to portray the government as. Again, these are some of the clearly some of the, the some of the responses. We are not at, able to in this book read the uh, the memo from the executive trashing the work they had done, but you can tell by the response that he is free to share, and he does share the entirety of the response here in this book. You can tell some of the stuff that was being pointed out to them, and and again, just. The, the, the part like, we have to assure you we're not going to make the government look like a bunch of, you know, uh, bigots. And 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 it's, it's it's those kind of concerns as they tried to hold their ground. And you saw this, you saw the show that we got. You saw the, the series. They had the tone, the tenor, the flavor of the X-Men comics that we all grew up loving. So they clearly knew what they were doing and whatever this Marvel executive's concern. And I'm telling you, having been part of productions that are ground to a halt, by one guy in a suit who decides, I have the authority to make this difficult and does, it is a complete and total drag. It, it still exists in the comic book world more than you really wish it would, but this is par for the course given uh, when you're doing work. Uh, you, you could even own it yourself. You could be the guys, the turtle guys, you could own it, and still there's a suit at the company that's paying for the animation or the network, and they can just grind everything to a halt. So they had to clear this significant hurdle by this executive trashing the show. And they had to answer all these points. I mean, in the in the book, it's a page and a half of what they, this memo was so long, it would take me well into part three of this series. So like I said, they just, they addressed it and you can tell by the results, they stayed their course, they stayed their ground. The, uh, the, the, the most, um interesting next crisis because it it, it, when it when it starts up again in this x-men animated series talking about how they need to you know keep hitting all their marks to get this stuff uh, out there fox and marvel wanted this in our eyeballs in september of 1992 that was that they wanted fall 92 now many of you are like i didn't see that in fall no you didn't you didn't see it in fall 1992 you saw it in january of 1993 because they successfully got a reprise but even that was something that they had to negotiate and again they walk you through all of this in this wonderful book but uh here is a, a, a another hurdle that they were encountering as they were generating and creating the show so the show is being made they've it, it, they're, they're they're employing all manner of other storyboard artists because you've got your basically in, in animation you've got your master uh storyboard people and they hand out the assignments the jobs they oversee them sometimes they'll pick certain assignments and they'll they'll do the first act establish the, the the method the pacing and then hand them off to other people because this is a production line it has to keep working to get to the animators overseas and there are going to be issues with them that we're going to bring up towards the end of this episode but here's the first major crisis and it says in bold in bold type with the first major crisis of production behind us scripts were pouring forth and the storyboards were starting up right behind them until The next crisis, a month into making the show, uh, all of a sudden, we were told that our agreed-upon character designs were wrong. Quite literally, we were instructed to go back to the drawing, drawing board. Eric Lewald writes, our September air date now seems an impossible goal. But why? Why, he says. Well, here we go. This is like, again, being... You're like you don't know you're a part of something until you're reading in a book that you're part of something. It says, uh, "Will Minio recalls after I had gotten the initial designs of Wolverine, Cyclops, and Jean Grey approved. Suddenly, I got a call from Marvel. You have to put away all Jim Lee references for the character designs. We cannot do a show that looks like Jim Lee's art. Okay, guys, I am I am reading this from the book." Eric Lowald writes the problem turned out to be that Jim Lee and other major Marvel artists had announced that they were leaving to found Image comic books I knew that we had to use these costumes so I thought well I'm going to do a model sheet that is so dumb that they will be forced to make the right decisions and use the right ones He says so I <laughs> um he said, "So he submitted these ridiculous uh, Hanna Barbera-looking designs to to basically reinforce and refocus the the the, the attention back to the, des- the to the designs that they're saying they can't use." Now, here's the deal. Here's the, in a nutshell, in case you are a uh, you came into comics reading uh, Jim Lee or just right before the Mark Silvestri X Men. Now, now here's the deal. Wolverine looks like Wolverine. That wasn't a Jim Lee de- design. Some 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 people. I, I even <laughs> this is the like this, this the silliest stuff. When the set leaks were happening last summer from Deadpool three, and they showed Wolverine in the uh, yellow design. Just pardon me here, I, as 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 a as a fan. Wolverine's yellow and black design is not a John Cassidy design. It, it is not a Jim Lee design. It is the original design put forth by uh, John Romita Sr.'s original sketch. The only modification was they took the whiskers off the mask. By the time he officially hit the X-Men with Dave Cochran and John Byrne and uh, Paul Smith and 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 John Romita Jr., Wolverine in the black and yellow costume is inherently reflective of the very first costume design. The black and yellow costume with the with the with the Uh, blue shoulder pads the shoulder gauntlets uh that is reflective of the initial wolverine design i love how people go oh no but it has this one design tracking line going down because everything in hollywood costumes has tracking lines and 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 different knitted um you know linings on them to break it up and look like almost armored pieces even when it's cloth okay that does not change the fact that the inherent design that all those different tracking lines uh, and, 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 and costuming threads are, are placed upon. Those are the original designs by uh, John Romita, uh, in this case, John Romita Sr., and then very soon after, Herb Trimp and Dave Cockrum. Okay, so the X-Men animated yellow and black Wolverine is not a Jim Lee design. That is just how he has looked, and a very popular one made possibly the most popular. And again, I, I, I cite that as sale prices reflect it. Try and buy an original art, a piece of original art by John Byrne with the yellow and black costume and see exactly how much money you're going to pay. It's going to be more than you're going to pay for any of the other artists that I've listed because that is how value, valued and how valuable the John Byrne depiction of Wolverine was because he, in fact, uh, was singularly invested in making that character as popular as he was and being there as it happened. Uh, be, being on, on the scene when I was 9 and 10 and 11, it happened on our watch. My generation and we love it the most, and and that is why it has um it has stayed as elevated and as valuable as it has. Uh, Beast, that's how Beast has looked since he was in the Avengers, being drawn by John Byrne and George Perez, and bouncing between that title and the X Men. So you got X Men and Beast. They are not uh, Jim Lee designs. The Cyclops and the Jean Grey designs are one thousand percent Jim Lee. As is the modified. Uh, Costume for Storm that they were using, Jubilee and Gambit are, for all intents and purposes, uh, even though they were not introduced in issues that he depicted. But Gambit and Jubilee are Jim Lee characters of the time. Mark Silvestri depicted the er, the early Jubilee, but but you can say that under Jim Jim did for Jubilee what John Byrne did for Wolverine, and Gambit has five six different fathers. Jim is one of them, so that inherently is a Jim Lee uh, character. So so Cyclops, the Storm, and the Jean Grey are absolutely designed by him. Uh, th- those are specific to his X-Men number one designs and his X-Men, uh, the, the uncanny X-Men stuff that he had been doing and, 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 and blew Jim up. Uh, but Beast, Wolverine, uh, th- th- those are inherent... How they had always looked, so it wasn't like they were going to strike these characters, but they were probably looking to go back to non Jim Lee designs. But read into it, they don't want them to look like Jim Lee. They can't look like his work, and and there's more, it, in so much that it, it Eric Lewald himself and and Will Minu, they they put together this goofy basically Hanna Barbera night Hanna Barbera 1970s designs of the X Men team as to, to kind of show like. This is not what we want to be doing. We need to adhere to the decisions we've already made, which is the X-Men that are on the market. Now, by the time you see this series, Jim Lee isn't drawing the X-Men anymore. But what I found out from this book is that as we were launching Image Comics, Marvel's like, they can't look like Jim Lee's art. They can't look like his designs. What they're basically saying is, we don't want to give Jim Lee a commercial on Saturday morning cartoon to, to enforce our rival. And this just goes to show you that every kind of innuendo that you had heard about the time, about them trying to shut the door on, 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 well, not them, some of them, some executives, many of who were very upset about us leaving. No one more than one Mr. Terry Stewart, the publisher of the time, the one that Todd insisted that we all go in and see. It was Jim, myself, Todd's wife Todd and we to give him a formal notice that we were leaving they already knew that we were leaving but but and it's the one where Tom DeFalco falls through the door because he's listening on the other end it is after hours all the lights are off at Marvel all the lights are off at the studio the the offices the bullpens the the individual offices are everything is turned off the only light is the lamp light coming from Terry Stewart's desk in this ominous setting as we inform him, as Todd really does most of the talking, Jim and I are just kind of like I'm, like, I'm like, I'm here for basically the entertainment and to say that I was here, but I've already left. My, my, the ads for my stuff are out. The the solicitations are in. But uh, they, because c- here's the deal, as I read further, so, 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 so I'm just giving you that I learned about this reading this, that what Image Comics was doing was so upsetting that they didn't want Jim Lee's style to be showcased on their new cartoon as if it would be a commercial for Jim Lee, who is now working for a rival, a company that he in fact owned. So Eric continues to write, and I will read directly from this passage following. He says, we had just arted, (laughs) we had just added artist. I put art and added together in one word. Uh, My apologies. We had just added artist Rick Hoberg, the mix on our crew, Rick wasn't aware of these politics. Right there. Look at that sentence. Wasn't aware of these politics. What they were falling uh uh victim to was politics between Marvel executives. Uh, I also very much suspect somebody in the Terry Stewart kind of level was the person who was um criticizing uh these books. Terry Terry didn't really have any any influence prior as publisher. He didn't have any experience in comic books, not 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 uh, uh, along the lines of other uh, publishers like Roy Thomas and and, uh, and and Carmen Infantino over at DC Comics. People who actually made the comics. Uh, Tom DeFalco made the comics. He was EIC. Terry Stewart was, you know, our, our, the publisher and and was very angry. And it wouldn't surprise me that he was not only one of the authors of the memo that looked to crush the the, the show, but also here. He's probably one of the guys that says no. Jim Lee designs. Also, Rogue. Rogues uh, was Mark really set Rogue in that direction, but but you were also seeing a Rogue uh, design. So so it's again. But the most popular face of the show, Wolverine. They didn't have to change one line on him or the Beast, but they would absolutely probably want to go back to the John Byrne, uh, Dave Cockrum era designs if this was enforced. And we all know that it wasn't. But it's great looking looking back and seeing Rick. Hoburg was not aware of these politics is a powerful sentence because it's like, guys, just let her do it. Just let us do our job. You want an X-Men hit? We want an X-Men hit. He says when he received the Hanna-Barbera versions that we had worked up, he had a heart attack. He was on a call to Stanley and others saying, we cannot do this. What are we thinking? Uh, It worked out very well because Stanley sincerely thought that we were idiots for pursuing any other designs other than the quote-unquote Jim Lee designs that were being used. He said uh, basically this ploy that that Eric and Will Minio put forth to make like, okay, you don't want what we've got. How about these goofy versions? Really, I think sometimes you got to give people an alternative. And in this case, they did and It woke everybody up. It said after... Our submission of the goofy looking X Men designs. Marvel realized they had to do the version that was Jim Lee's. So we took the Jim Lee uh, costume designs and made them more animatable. Animatable is a word I am reading. Uh, Rick's lines worked to unify it, unify all of it into a cohesive style. And that's when I started shifting off more and more character design work. Uh, with you guys Eric and Mark this this must be Julia writing this portion uh, because Eric and Julia Lewald are the authors of this incredible book and then day-to-day operations of the show trying to make sure that it didn't go off the tracks there were certain characters like Beast and Colossus uh, where no one was comfortable drawing them as big as they could be so I wound up doing them because I was the only one willing to go to that level of the grotesque to get be- Beast to be as big as he should have been represented from the comic books it says two crises two saves by um, by the force of will minio so again you have this condition where do not make these look again the exact quote is we cannot have these look like jim lee's style uh that that is you know just just absolutely like first time i learned of this is reading this because they had left to form image comics uh we cannot have this book look like jim lee's we can't have this cartoon look like jim lee's art again todd was always very famous by the way of saying what they really want to own is our styles they what they really at the end of an executive and he what he meant is suits the suits want to own the todd McFarlane style so that it can never be uh you know utilized outside of marvel and i think there's a lot of genius in that statement i was watching a curb of the enthusiasm the other night and larry uh let <laughs> larry uh very um very very bluntly put to another character he goes sometimes you say things that are so stupid it, there's 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 genius in the statements and and i i think that, that what they really want to own is our style is is one of those kind of over the top but but very i think appropriate understandings of, of of kind of the dilemma and in what marvel was thinking and now you have it here in this book that there was a crisis another weekend where holy crap we have to abandon all the work we do go back to the style guides undo all the stuff that we've done for the animators again my limited uh understanding of this when i was helping uh jim valentino out and when i say when i was helping i'm i'm, I'm talking 70 uh pages of storyboards three panels a page on Ghostbusters. You know, uh, matching. uh, You know, uh, matching all the characters. Who you know, this guy's tall and slender. This guy's short and portly. Um, There's obviously Slimer. Had to keep Slimer on on model because Jim Lee would. uh, I'm sorry, Jim Valentino would do the storyboards in like a uh, stick figure breakdown, and then I was handed the breakdowns in pencils and with ink. I had to. uh, I would have to have to then finally render in ink. Um, egon and all the other ghostbusters and slimer and all the other different characters in that particular episode so it's like we they would have to go back and white out readjust all the work they had already done given that these costumes had already been based on the work that jim was doing from the super launch of x-men number one in the summer of 1991 i love the that this the, the sentence Rick hoberg is not aware of the politics of this because that really sums it up and again I had no idea that even for one moment Image Comics was impacting X-Men, the animated series. But there you go in a nutshell. You, you've, you've, you've got it in the author, the, 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 his, his he and his wife who produced and showrun, who were the showrunners on X-Men animated series. They're telling you in their own words. As we as we kind of round up this, this next chapter of, of getting the X-Men animated series uh, on air, they had made a 13-episode breakdown, breaking down each and every one of the episodes. Um, you know, you can read that in the book that the the, uh, the the shorthand note that they gave for all the episodes. And as you know, as I started here, look, you guys. A, I love cartoons. Uh, I grew up watching all of them. We've talked about Battle of the Planets. We've talked about Super Friends. We've talked about Spider Man and his amazing friends, the Hulk, the Fantastic Four cartoons. I was a cartoon junkie. My generation, the kids in in my age group now, we grew up. There was. Cartoons on CBS, NBC, ABC, all through our childhoods, and then as we became young adults, Fox entered the picture, and they made a statement here in the book that it says Fox wanted a show that would put them on the map, get big ratings, a hit that they could program everything else behind. That's what they were trying to achieve with X Men. That was the goal, and it was brought forth because Margaret Loesch had carried her position from Marvel, the the executive branches of Marvel production, as she became then the head of Fox, she said, I'm doing this. I'm finally going to make this dream a reality. She knew what was possible with this series. But obviously, we've we've, we've encountered executive hurdle after executive hurdle. Let's call it meddling. But at the end of chapter one, uh, Eric and Julie LeWald recount that all of the meticulous work that they've done on the storyboards, on the character designs, on the scripts, the voice work, they're waiting for the animated footage to come back from Acom, Acom is the uh, the animation house that was producing producing the uh, the show for them. The, I, I believe it was uh, located over in Korea, and they were the, uh, the, the 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 basically putting together the sum total of all of their work and animating it. I have produced about four minutes total of my own animation for young blood it's somewhere out there on youtube so i went through all of this in a very capsulized form and we had um utilized a really great animation house over in korea so i understand how the storyboards go to the designs and then come back and you see the pictures moving and it's incredible but they received the animated footage back this is the last few paragraphs of chapter one we they had received the animated footage back and it was terrible their words awful it felt like five months hard work had been for nothing. Margaret Loesch said Fox would not accept it. If the animation studio had to fix their work, excuse me, the animated the animation studio had to fix their work or the series would not air, period. That is a sentence straight out of this book. The animation studio swore that they needed more time and more money. This was by for them by far the most demanding series they had ever been asked to do. And so Margaret, at a great price, got the Fox network to take the huge risk of putting off the series premiere for four months, from September 1992 to January 1993, to give the animators more time to get things right. Marvel Comics, to their everlasting credit, stepped up with some of the extra cash needed, contributing their licensing fees to help pay to get the footage redone when no one else would. By the end of July, the writers had finished their work. Six weeks later, so had the artists. All were let go, as is is the practice in animation, uh, because the work is done. Forced to take other work while everyone waited four months for the January premiere, hoping for the good news of great ratings and a possible second season pickup. There were hints that success was possible. Two sneak previews of the pilot story pushed through by Margaret. In Fox primetime on Halloween and Thanksgiving were widely watched and seemed pre-internet feedback, great add there, pre-internet feedback to be well-received. The fans were excited. They were curious. Last paragraph of this first chapter. Then to the team's great satisfaction when the series properly premiered in January, it shot right to number one in the ratings and we never look back. And as I read this, as I as I read it for the first time, I thought, what a great sentence, what a satisfying sentence for both Eric and Julia Lewald to write about after they've summed up all the different crises, all the stops and starts, all the people meddling. What a great, again, when the series properly premiered in January, it shot right to number one in the ratings, and we never looked back. And you go, it, it's happening. It. We were all there. We watched it. We were so excited. An X-Men animated series. And- I'm on record. You guys, I loved it. It looked, for lack of a better term, it looked comic booky. The storylines worked. The voices, the characterizations. These were the X Men that I grew up loving. There is so much more to share as we continue our series. We've got at least one more part where we cover uh, the subsequent episodes, the subsequent series, um, um, seasons. But what I want to set the table with is this is a great paragraph. It kind of sums up everything that they were doing as they continued to, to pursue Success on this show. It said, "Will Minio, again one of the top producers of the show, wearing all sorts of different hats on this show. Will had remembered the kind of intensifying, both in speed and number of shots, called out in the X Men animated storyboards, and the amount of information that they were cramming into each and every frame." He said, "I storyboarded early on on the Batman." animated series and the goal was intentional to keep the pacing on the batman show slow at times they wanted to do 280 to 300 shots per show in x-men we were doing 400 to 500 shots per show you got a different pacing because we were burning through shots so fast our intention was to emulate the kinetic energy of the comic books I think that we can all agree they did emulate that energy. But again, they did it because they worked harder and they gave us more. An extra 200 shots, I mean, per show up against what was going on in Batman. And and, and you can get it. You see it. It's a team show. The scope needs to be wider. The variety of characters is is quadrupled. So, so this was a giant... Burden for these people to do, and you never ever get the sense that they weren't having an absolute blast, even with all of the executive meddling. But think about that. Think of the extra Batman at max. They're, they're, they're doing. They're, they want do, uh, to do max two to three hundred shots. X Men is doing up to five hundred shots per show, and 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 again, key key different shots, frames, movement within the shots and the frames, and. That ambition, we all know, it paid off. It paid off in droves. It is so great to see how appreciative and and uh, and celebrated the series is with everybody of all of us. I consider myself again a huge fan, and I consider this book a incredible uh, source of knowledge and just a, a great uh, a great treasure. If you're an X Men fan, if you're a cartoon fan, if you're an art fan animation process behind the scenes again as before we before we end this particular episode x-men the art and making of the animated series by eric and julie lewald giving them all their props they wrote it i'm just reporting stuff that i found out for the first time in this um tons of stuff i find out found out continue to find out for the first time as i go through this book and share it with you and we're going to continue we're going to circle back deadpool cable these characters, some brief, some lots, as I said, first season, Cable's in it. Blew my mind. Cable made the cut for the first season of the, uh, of a cartoon show about the biggest comic book of the last, at the time, 13, 15 years when it aired. And Cable's right there front and center getting his own completely showcased episode. And it was a thrill. It was just an absolute thrill. And, And here's the other thing that always was funny to me in regards to the executive. I've told you guys before, one of the biggest inspirations for me to go out on my own was that all of the X-Force characters were being implemented into the second line of X-Men toys that were coming out from Toy Biz. The launch line had all your favorite Cyclops, Wolverine, um, the the, the, the popular characters. They were doing a second line and it was going to have Cable and Shatterstar and it was going to have strife and Deadpool, and you're like, wait, what? I'm already. This stuff is leapfrogging all these other characters, like, like, like Sunfire. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, you know, different versions of Angel and his costume. Uh, all, all manner of different popular X-Men characters that had appeared along the way. Forge, uh, just, just all manner of, of of X-Men characters. X-Force left them, left them all. And so these these toys are coming out that that train can't be stopped. They're already being manufactured, probably packaged and shipped overseas when they're like, don't make these Jim Lee costumes. We can't have this reflect his art. That was political. More politics to come, more spotlights to come, more success to come as we continue to delve into this incredible world of X-Men, the animated series. If if, if I really had the courage that I that I want to believe I had, I would I would I would. Launch right into. Okay, that was the terrible version of me doing that killer X Men theme, which I love. You all love not not that version, the real version. We all love so much. So hey, uh, we're gonna we're, we haven't given up. So 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 there will be more. Uh, what what just X Men animated series, huge cultural impact. And uh, just having so much fun sharing this with all of you. But that's for the next installment. Here's the deal. The end of every episode, we read your reviews. And they have been pouring in. You are so kind to me. You are so fun- great to this show. We appreciate you. M- myself, my-, my engineer, Reed. So you're like, what's he saying? Read. What's he saying we for all the time? It, the, hey, I, I, I would know how to uh, tweak the sound on this and load it. Uh, More than I could make porridge in a pot. Okay, Uh, much less serve it to three bears. I I am not that guy. So I I appreciate Reed. All he does, he doesn't get enough attention here. We appreciate the love that you send to the show, and it's pouring in. And and I'm I'm going to get ready. I'm about to read one that came in over the weekend. Incredible. I'm going to share this with you because it really touched me. And 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 I've I've told you if you guys send these to me, I will I will share them over the air here it's just so amazing uh the expressions that you've given to this show and 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 believe you me on the mornings that I last thing I want to do is is uh is is wake up and come sit in this chair and and, and talk and and I, I just feel like uh, everyone nobody wants to listen to this show it's the, this kind of stuff that keeps me going this is from Brian Ketterer hang on you're gonna I really enjoyed this. I'm going to enjoy sharing this with you, Rob. We have met at conventions over the years, a handful of times. We have a mutual friend in Jeff Cerrito, who was the efficient at my second wedding. I'm sure as you have no reason to that you won't remember me, but we have similar interest in original art. And I am also a fairly active and high-end art collector. I'm slightly younger than you at 48 years old, but in the same generation and era, growing up in the 80s, and a comic book fan in his prime in the 1990s. I discovered your podcast and began churning through all the episodes at the end of last year as I was in the hospital for three weeks. Since I've been back, I've been listening and re-listening to your podcast episodes. It has been thrilling to listen to your total enthusiasm for the medium. More importantly, a lot of the episodes have caused me to pause and reconsider a number of misconceptions I had about the history of, and in particular, the 1990s or sample preloads of ideas or, per- or perceptions about that time period that you have been able to change. Additionally, you've inspired me to go back to all my comic periodicals about comic books, including Wizard at times even, and reading old interviews. What I appreciate so much about your approach is the complete positivity with which you now discuss and reflect on most comics, because I've lived so many similar experiences. I love reliving uh, you going to a store and the racing home or having a burger and reading a comic book and escaping. And I love that you're still <laughs> getting a huge Galactus toy, which I have as well, and buying up trades and still investing in the stories and in the medium. Image Comics was so important for me in the 90s. I was 16, 17 when Image started rolling Image started rolling its books out. I grew up on the Image founders developing at Marvel and to this day, love the Liefeld, McFarlane, Lee, Silvestri. Larson, Valentino, Portacio work from that time period and I bought every image comic when it would debut to try them. People who didn't live through it don't know how electric it was to be part of that time period. You and your colleagues during your time at Marvel and Image and then Marvel again with Heroes Reborn provided me countless hours of wonder and studying the panels and the drawings. While your episodes on documenting their history of the 90s are fascinating, my favorite episodes are your discussions on the topics of John Byrne, George Perez, and Frank Miller, to name just a few. I don't consider myself to be any super important or knowledgeable comic collector, but I am a longtime fan. I am a former advisor to the Overstreet Price Guide, and I've spent a lot of time searching and finding amazing comic book and art. But over the years, there's a waning enthusiasm that occurs as you start to seemingly see everything and see the same things over and over again. Rob's Observations has rekindled my love for the medium itself, the art. You hammer that if it looks cool and if it works, that we love it. Couldn't be more true. People forget comics are a uniquely visual way of storytelling, which is why the artist always trumps the writer in comics. You'd love to have the combo, but great art always sells. I hope... He ends with saying, I hope you keep doing the podcast, Rob. It's so refreshing and thrilling to hear your voice. Be well, Brian Ketterer. Guys, that's the kind of stuff... That just hits. It hits. It connects, and uh, I feel everything that Brian is saying because these comics are special to us. These memories, what they meant to us as as children, as young men, as 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 uh, as we matured, as we expanded, the comfort and the escape they gave us. So I connect with Brian when he shares uh, those aspects with me, and I'm just so thrilled uh, that people like Brian Ketterer take the time out to send me such uh, a, 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 a passionate response to what he's receiving for this show because that's why I do this show. That is why this show exists. We don't sell you anything on this show. There is nothing for me to sell you. I can, I can sh- share with you where you can catch me across all these different great social media platforms because I love social media, but boy, there also should be a what if in terms of social media. You saw in the X-Men animated series that we just finished, he went out of his way to say pre-internet fandom. You know, the reactions without people running to scramble to to share their opinions if they love it or hate it uh, on a phone when the X-Men, you know, aired. Pre-internet was different. It, it, it wasn't people trying to uh, be parts of tribes. We liked what we liked. If we got to share it with somebody in the comic book store, that was great. And, uh, it's great that the comic store now that we can share on is everywhere on social media, but there are differently, you know, there, there are potholes and there, there, are, there are speed bumps along the way. But Brian, thank you for just taking the time out. As I say all the time, you guys take your keyboards out and you express these incredible, uh, passionate thoughts with me and I appreciate it so much. I am going to keep doing this. Uh, if, if that didn't get me another couple months worth of enthusiasm, I don't know what did. Brian, I appreciate everything you said to me. I know I wrote back to you, but I very much uh, just was deeply touched by your sentiments and am so happy and proud to have just shared them here with everybody on Rob Observations. When you guys leave a review for the show, it, 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 it could be on the Apple platform. That's where I get the lion's share. But some of them, like Brian, they, they, they message me through a social media. Uh, platform. I, I collect them. I share them. I read them at the end of each and every episode. And they are so important. They help us stand out. Uh, they, they help They help us break through the clutter. As you know, there are so many podcasts. Once again, if we stopped today, we have been the number one comic book podcast on Spotify, on Apple for a year. We have so many weeks, so many episodes, so many shows. You guys have shown up. I could not be more thrilled. Thank you so much for um, all the support you give the show. When you read when you write those reviews, I will read them at the end of the show. Once again, thank you, Brian Ketterer. When I am not podcasting, when you can't catch me here, please jump on over to the platform formerly known as Twitter X and catch me there. I am at Robert Liefeld, blue check, full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, blue check, Robert Liefeld on Twitter. That's really me. I read your DMs, your replies, uh, the discussions that we have are uh are so fun i love connecting with you and 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 you guys you know i i try and really only connect with the people with the positive vibes because that's what life's all about is the positive vibes how do you get through life without seeing the the, the cup half full that is uh really the, the the challenge and and what i put forth and i am so thrilled uh to when you guys reach out and make contact with me and thank you for all of the interaction all of the social uh ways that, that we interact on on uh, on on Twitter slash X. Look for me at Robert Liefeld. I will be looking for you on Instagram. Probably my favorite because I love the pictures. I love sharing this visual diary of my life, what I'm drawing, what I'm eating, the people I'm hanging with, the fun I'm having, uh, where I'm traveling to. Uh, I, I am on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. Like, I actually got Rob Liefeld again because sweet Joy Liefeld knew that I'd love it. Uh, we were in the car. We were actually going home from the grocery store and she's like, Aren't you on Instagram? Isn't that the greatest? And as we were driving home, she showed me. And when I pulled in the parking lot, I downloaded Instagram. I joined up how many years ago that was. But I was able to get Rob Liefeld, uh, which which is what I prefer. Robert Liefeld was necessary because somebody over on Twitter slash X is squatting my other name. So I'm at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Another blue check verifies that it is really me. I am the real deal, Uh, not, not, not an imposter. Again, I read your replies, your mentions. Uh, your DMs, your comments. Thank you so much for interacting with me over on Instagram. I will continue to uh, share uh, news breaks and announcements and, and behind the scenes art as well as all of the great fun and food that I'm consuming over on my visual, my visual diary that sometimes my kids think is cringe. Okay. Uh, At Rob Liefeld over on Instagram. I will look for you there. There is a group that we have on Facebook. I still like Facebook. I, I, I love it. It's so fun. We have a group, not a page. A group. The group is called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I would love for you to seek us out, find us. So many of the conversations that we have here go further, more long form, more discussion over on our group. We 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 make posts and uh, different different you know back and forth. Uh, all all manner of topics are discussed. Comic books, art. We have art contests over on the Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond group uh run by my co uh moderator and and fellow co-administrator terry sala s-a-l-a uh, one of us will be the ones that cook you through once you submit to, to join and terry runs the art contest we have uh real-time polling where you vote and and, and for what you like we have some killer tremendous artists who are taking part and showing their stuff and uh we would we, love for you again to join us be part of the conversations that we are having over at my group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Look forward again to seeing you there. Twice a week, I am on Whatnot, the leading uh, collectible app. Everybody, I mean, there's so many stores. This morning, I was I was seeing how many stores were live and, and, and on online already engaging, and there was uh, sports, uh, sports stuff, uh, sneakers, kicks, jerseys, collectible cards, trading cards, sports cards, comic books, Funko Pops. We are in the comic book Funko Pop toy section. Get Whatnot, download it, follow Rob Leifeld, Rob Liefeld and, and, and follow me and, and you will get updated when my shows go live. When my shows go live, it is me looking right into the camera, talking to you for two, two and a half hours as we share with you all of the many exclusive variants that I have. Many I just did with Whatnot and now I have an exclusive comic book that you can only get through whatnot from me called The Last Blood. It details kind of the final uh, stories of my Extreme Studios characters. It's called The Last Blood. We have sold out of every single edition that we have shown. It is 28 brand new pages, full color, uh, written and illustrated by me, and I cannot wait to get it into your hands. Issue 2 is coming fast. You're going to want to have Issue 1. We're going to do another drop of a new Issue 1 right before, alongside our our releasing of Issue 2, but aside from that, Uh, If you are dinging Deadpool and Wolverine and on cable and X-Force and all the other stuff that I have worked on and or created, jump on. We have exclusive Wolverine covers, Deadpool covers, X-Force covers, X-Men covers. We have Thundercats, a Thundercats uh, exclusive that is just blowing up. All of these are available from me to you directly. I draw on toys. I do remarks. I do sketches all live. I love the space. It is a great way to connect, especially since I'm not going out to any comic book conventions i am not traveling at this time uh, i am on my third year of staying at home but through this portal i can reach you we have sent like over 1200 comics to cgc alone through that through that um show and we have sold almost uh 16 items we have a five star rating we earned it the hard way please join us on whatnot follow me and i would love to see you we generally schedule two uh, episodes a week so if you follow me you'll you'll know when we go live and how you can participate. Speaking of CGC, we are up for our second signing. If you are you missed out on the first one that we did, that I when I signed in September, the submissions are right now. Go to the CGC website, look up Rob Leifeld, get in on the different categories: the chisels, the blood splattered chisels. Find out what those are. Remarks, uh, sketches, all of it are available. Uh, you guys got to get these books to me. You you if you held out and wondered um, how it went for people the first round, and I think there were people who were definitely holding out those books came out in high grades in great condition the response across the board was so enthusiastic I had never done it before but having done it I see how satisfying uh, it, it is to, to to both the the myself and the participants and you guys send me such great killer comic books so get on that right now the the the, the submissions are open they are taking your submissions download the form submit those great books you're gonna want these in your hands before the Deadpool movie releases in July 26th. We are trying to time it right up to where I would do it before then and get them back to you. And we are just so excited to be offering this again, partnering with CGC to do a live in-house signing. So go on, download, check that out and, uh, and, and send me some cool books. I cannot wait to see what you're sending me. At the end of each and every episode, I just want to ask if you're doing good. I hope that you are doing fantastic. I hope you're doing well. Your emotional, spiritual, physical, mental state of being are so important. And the world is getting harder and crazier. And it's an election year. So it's even more nuts. So my advice, my desire for you is to get off the treadmill. I, I'm on the grind every day too, but I have to take time away. Go to the beanbag, go to the recliner chair. Have a, have, I've never mentioned a bowl of cereal, but we like cereal. We like the sugary stuff. We like the bad old man Liefeld wants the stuff that's really bad for you. I mean, come on. Fruit Loops, okay. Fruity Pebbles. Let, let's go. Let's go. Don't even get me started on the Reese's Puffs, okay? Don't. Let's not go there. Whatever it is that can take you away and 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 get you off the grind, reset, get you inspired. Maybe it's a great comic book, a graphic novel, an, an actual book, book, a novel, 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 novel. Uh, a movie, a streaming show. Out with your family, your friends. Miniature golf. You know, go karts. Whatever it is, I've done all of those things in the interest a great long walk with with your loved one all of them anything get away take that break do it for yourself have a great meal italian uh indian mexican food we 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 regularly acknowledge taco tuesdays in the life house okay taco tuesdays is real it's a thing up to 6 7 families we've done taco tuesdays with at one time so you guys you get it and on the way home it's it's great it was a 2 hour uh off ramp from from the grind of life, but on the way home, it's so much fun. And of course, I'm washing it all down with the Reese's Big Cup because we are the unofficial, unpaid sponsor of all things Reese's Big Cups. Just because I have one a day and have for maybe 30 years, even prior to the Big Cups when they were just Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. The Big Cups, it doesn't it doesn't get better than the Big Cup. They just they just taste so much better because they are, in fact, bigger and more delicious. I. I'm rooting for you. Fist bump, boom! Right through this blue yeti microphone that I'm speaking in towards you. I wish for you all the best. I wish rest, relaxation, success, prosperity, hope, and uh, and I I just I just send out all my good vibes towards you. Now don't leave me here. Come back. I'll be right here. Uh, come back. Find me. Uh, we, we got more stuff to you, you know to cover. So so you know the drill. At the very end, we some of you have come up and said this to me it shows it's the best you open when you meet with me and you say to me we will absolutely most definitely inevitably talk again real soon and that's a fact